Yorkshire or South Yorkshire. I think it's North Yorkshire. Victoria, is it North Yorkshire? It's North Yorkshire, yeah. <laughs> you can tell by the accent. So I'm in beautiful North Yorkshire, uh, near Skipton, and I'm at Keelham Farm Shop, and I'm with Victoria Robertshaw. And Victoria and uh, me, we met at um, uh, an awards thing, um, <clears throat> and it was the NatWest Every Woman Awards. And I was very hopeful, and I went along, and it was in some posh place in London somewhere. And of course, Victoria won, and we were all very jealous, but we're not really that jealous because she really, really deserved it. And that's because her story is quite incredible. Um, So I'm sitting in Keelan Farm Shop, and it's huge, and you've got hundreds of people. But just tell me a little bit about the history, Victoria, because this was a family. This was your family building originally, wasn't it? Yeah, Keelan Farm Shop... um is the family business and goes back. There's a this you're in our second shop here in Skipton in North Yorkshire, but the original shop's in Bradford, on a hill outside Thornton, thousand feet above sea level, working sheep farm, and that was started over forty years ago by my father. Classic kind of farm shop, piecemeal development, lots of barns put together, stocking stuff from the farm and local farmers as well, and. Um, he did incredibly well with that business, and it was like, you know, a lot of business gets get stuck at two million, so it was like two million kind of sells forever, but I always say that was a lot of carrots and sausages back in kind of <laughs> 2000, sell from the top of the hill. And what we've done really is taken that concept and turned it into something a little bit modern, relevant... Um, Something extraordinary <laughs> is how I, I would say. Be- before we go on to that, so 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 your dad did he have a vision or was it just like this is you know this is the way for our family to survive and it's quite a nice business? Did did he have any vision or did he just sort of tick it over? Yeah, he definitely had a vision. My granddad, if we go back to 1929, he was um, the farm where we lived. My granddad was brought up on the farm opposite. And he was what I call farmer. He was a farmer butcher. So the land up there is like, if you imagine Wuthering Heights, kind of Pennine Moors, it's not very sort of fertile and productive. And they had to diversify to survive. So Granddad Harry, he opened his first butcher shop in the town centre when he was 18. Um, in, yeah, apparently he did his apprenticeship at one in Denham down the road when he was 15, learnt it, then opened his own. And I was talking to somebody, like a farmer, one of our suppliers of the day, and he was saying it was an incredible butcher shop, um, sort of really known in the area. And so my dad at 15 went to work in there and worked on the farm and learned the trade. And then I suppose it went from there that over time he opened up actually one on, on the farm that he kind of took over and started to run. So that makes sense. But then he's got a daughter. So, so with all due respect, up in North Yorkshire, you know, and you've got these big farming lads and everything. How did you, how did you sort of decide to, to sort of get involved? Or, or, you know, did it just sort of drop on your plate? I think um, we were brought up with it. So literally the farmhouse, you looked out the window, one side you could see Bradford, which lit up at night, looked like Blackpool illuminations when I was a kid out of my bedroom window. On the other side was the farming and the farm shop, literally. And my mum, I've got a brother, James, who's younger than me, and my mum left when we were quite young. So we were brought up by my dad, which was really unusual in the 70s. Mm. So everywhere he went, we went. 
So from the age of 11, I was serving customers in the shop. The age of 16, Dad would go on holiday then and trust me to run the shop. At 16? (laughs) Really? Wow, that's that's a huge responsibility. I suppose I taught myself at 14 how to do VAT, so I could do his VAT returns for him. (laughs) It was just like the way it was. So that kind of being brought up with food, the farm, sort of that entrepreneurial kind of spirit is something that was always kind of normal and just what you did. I think if if you've got a dad who's you know and, and and family who started shops you know when they're sixteen you could just yeah you could say you've got entrepreneurial <laughs> spirit, um but 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 you know when you're at school did you think oh well, I'm going to do this and go to university or or, or or be a nurse or something or did you just never ever think about anything else other than taking over? No, I didn't think about taking over at that point because dad it was always sort of dad was there and he was definitely loving it and leading it. It was that business that was always. A security thing. I was like fortunate to be quite clever, so I went to the local grammar school. I then went to university, went to Durham, did economics, and I thought actually I'm going to learn something useful in the outside world. So it wasn't nursing; it was the classic accountancy. Wow. <laughs> I was still trying to do that back, but actually one of the best groundings you could get because you know now I can sit in meetings with anybody financial. I'm not baffled. I hold my own incredibly confident you know and if your numbers are wrong then the business is wrong and and I think um, we were talking earlier you know there's so many lovely producers out there and they've got some great products but at the end of the day you're still running a business and it doesn't matter how small or how big it is and if you don't get that right you you know you don't get your numbers right you don't work out your pricing and all that sort of stuff to be fair you're not going to survive in the long term no, I agree. And we get a lot of, we've actually had little producers come to us and you're like, mm, you know, that's just not going to sell you. you. You haven't got kind of your overheads right. Or actually we've had people when they've tried to charge us too little and I've actually said, no, that's not sustainable. That's not going to work. But yeah, it's an important basis and I'd recommend it to anybody. And you get to see loads of different companies as well, which is great and pick up ideas and understand process, which is so important for businesses and things as well. So you're a qualified accountant, you know, all your, your, your business stuff. And then did you just wander into your dad and say, I'll, I'll, um, I'll take over now, uh, chaps? Or, or, or did you go out for work somewhere else and then gradually get sucked into the business? Yeah, I did. I went to actually work in retail. So went to manager level with Andersons and then went to Dixon's group. So gosh, in a way it was incredible because you got Sir Stanley Carms, took his dad's two shops. And when I was there, he had a thousand shops. Um, and he was really, so it become a big corporate, but it was incredibly useful, I think, from seeing how big companies work on probably what you don't want to have in a company in a sense, because my kind of company background was much more entrepreneurial and just doing things. And I think Sir Stanley, when I was there, he had a really famous quote that when he was a little company, he was all the time trying to be a big company. When he was a big company, he wanted to be about being a little company. And I think that's a real classic mm. that even now as we're growing Keelum, I kind of always remember that because that's a challenge that I kind of face daily as well. So, yeah, it was a great kind of I worked in corporate strategy and development, some kind of retail customer facing stuff. And yeah, it, it was a good good grounding as well for what was to come. And what was to come? So did you I mean, you're, you're at Dixon's. Then how, how did you sort of go back into the business? Well, after Dixon's, I actually, one of my um, bosses, I worked in a kind of an internal business review role, which is really interesting. And we, by that time, they got FreeServe, the internet company. Mm-hmm. So that floated. They put in a new kind of MD from D- Dixon's who I'd worked with, who was great. And he said, do you want to come over and work at FreeServe? Which was, 
I'm so glad I did that because FreeServe had no kind of facing customers and it was such a great brand-led company. Very different to Dixon's. It was allowed to do what it wanted. So Dixon's was quite formal in terms of hierarchy and process where FreeServe didn't have HR, they had talent management. <laughs> which Funky. <laughs> which back in those days was like, oh God, Reveille. yeah, and it was so brand-focused and stuff. So it was uh, really great to be in such... It was quite forward-thinking for its time, actually, and be at the cusp of that a whole kind of internet revolution. And I saw FreeServe, you know, I, one of my jobs was looking after contact centres and member retention and marketing. And we went from, like, you know, less than 50 people in contact centres to, like, hundreds as a kind of the, the business grew. So that was a great experience. You still haven't answered my question. <laughs> I've forgotten it now. <laughs> so how did you move from there back into the family? Because, because uh, you know, you're, you know, you've got status, you're in a corporate, you know, everything's run very differently. How did you then go back? Because that, that is quite a challenge. Loads of things came together and has um, Prince Harris there didn't his interview with Meghan, the stars were aligned. And we had a kind of alignment, some bad stuff and... Stuff. My father had died suddenly of a heart attack. Um, that had been a few years before. Um, I then split up. I'd split up with my the father of my two children, who at that age when they were like just started little school, and you're like, oh, is this what? Where am I going here? Yorkshire was always home, and London was always temporary. It, and it just ended up being more temporary, you know, for a longer period. And then the other thing, which was just a catalyst and often happens, is um, Orange took over um, with French Telegraph the Free Serve, and fortunately my role was made redundant, so I just got a really nice package and that opportunity to think, okay, I can yeah. step off, this is the time, basically. So as you said, all the stars are aligned. So what was the state of the business when you went back in at that point? Um, the business, well, my, my brother James, who'd left school at 16 and then went into the butchery, did the farming, had always worked my dad, had been running the business. It had really carried on like my dad had had it. A typical sort of owner-managed business, um, no process. I mean, I brought a laptop back with me and oh my goodness. <laughs> What's that strange magic she's brought back from London? Exactly, those <laughs> fancy ideas, that kind of thing. And so it was really, you know, initially, and I remember having a walkout within the first three months. We had, I think there were just like three team members on the shop floor then. And now we've, you've probably been downstairs here. We probably have at least 30 down there. And those three team members are all working the tills, decided to run away at lunchtime and walk out because they'd been asked to do something slightly different that might have been a bit more customer-focused. Um, so it's a good job I knew how to use a till that afternoon. <laughs> so were you seen as the wicked witch that just arrived on a broomstick? <laughs> I think A little bit, I mean. not you Yeah, I think people sometimes don't like change, do they? And one of the things I've learned over the years is that um, I've learned to understand that because I love change. I wake up in the morning with ideas of how I can change. And one of the things, you know, I don't think anybody's roles probably changed as much as mine. I've learned to kind of temper that a little bit. Yeah, so any change is always difficult for people, and it's just how you manage that. A lot of it is though selling a vision, don't you think? And I think, you know, I think one of the things I've learned in my business is you've got to spend time explaining to people why you're doing something, what your vision is, how it's going to make it better for them, how they can get more involved, how it might make their job more rewarding. But actually selling that rather than you've gone through that process in your head, you know it's a good idea and go, right, we're doing this now, chaps. And of course, nobody knows what, what's going on. And, and, and it's that slight 
you know, being slightly scared of, well, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. Absolutely. And that's been one of my a big learning for me quite early days. So obviously, I think to get a business above two million, people have to learn how to delegate. You have to put in process and bring people in and empower them. And so I brought in sort of putting a management structure. We had process, we had recruitment stuff. People didn't just walk off the street and get a job and that kind of thing. And then, so I brought this team in, and then I was like, oh, my God, why don't they just get it? Why don't they understand it's so obvious? And very quickly, I then thought, oh, you know, there isn't some kind of thing going from my brain to theirs without some bit of speaking in between. So one of the things I did really early days was sit down and write down what does Keelum stand for, what are our values, what makes it tick, where we're going, and get on paper a lot of the good stuff that was lying there from my dad's days and some of the stuff that we kind of wanted to do going forward as well. And it felt like I was writing the Keelum kind of legacy, so it would always carry on, even with nobody there. And that's something that we live by today, and that forms a fair framework for our managers to kind of take decisions and move the business forward. And that's about culture, isn't it? It's about the way we do things, the way we say things, the way we act, you know, and, and that for me is a chief executive's or owner's job. You set that and that tone and what's expected and what isn't. And, you know, and that's what goes around here. Absolutely. And we often we say to people, because we've employed a lot of people and learned a lot on the path, that a lot of companies, they don't want people to think. They just want them to follow process. It's It's crazy. And... We say you come into Keelum because you want to write the book, not necessarily because you're going to follow the book. Um, and that is kind of, you have to get a certain type of person who wants to do that as well. But yeah. And enthusiasm, you can't fake enthusiasm. Um, and, and if people buy into it, then they'll just ooze it, won't they? Yeah, and I think the great thing about Keelum is that, you know, you're not just coming here to sell food. You're here to, like, deliver something fantastic to their customers. They learn something new that tastes great, supporting other local producers and... I think the team love being part of that as well. So if I could just describe your um, shop now, uh, Victoria. It all looks beautifully modern at the front. So you come in um, and it's sort of wood and, and all that and, and massive. Just talk me through the little departments. Try and bring it to life for me. Yeah, in terms of size, it's 25,000 square feet. And of that, you've got about 10,000 square foot, which is retail. And what's really interesting about Keelum is that stuff behind, we've got 4,000, which is the Keelum kitchen, which we just see as a huge tasting room for the shop. And then the rest is making stuff. So we've got on-site manufacturing for the butcheries, for the deli, um, everything. You know, people gone about, oh, yeah, sandwiches are made fresh each day. We've just been doing that stuff forever. It's just part of our ethos and what we do. The difference here, though, is the sandwiches made fresh each day here. Um, and we're going to go and talk to some of your uh, lovely staff downstairs in the butchery and all the other yeah. uh, departments. But but they are you are getting stuff in and you're making it yourself. And and the thing that strikes me when you walk uh, through the whole of the Keelan Farm Shop is so much of it is made here. It is um, well over half. Over half, seventy um, percent of the food that we sell is fresh. If you take a kind of Asda out of town, twenty percent. So it gives you that f- different feeling. And what we do at Keelan is we. You know, we've got in here under the roof, you will meet our butchers, our bakers who've been here since two in the morning. We've got a f- juice bar, but it's not one of those juice bars where they pull out the plastic containers and where's that come from? It's actually you're next to the fruit and veg where that juice is there and it's squeezed and freshly pressed in front of your eyes. We've got an amazing deli where we've got all our pies and pizzas. We've got kind of a Yorkshire pick and mix thing where all the sweets are sourced locally. You'll have some healthy snacking. We've got an alcohol section. We're very good at Yorkshire gin now. There's a lot of that stuff in there. 
Was Don't you worry, we're going to have a look at that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, and beer, we're so good at beer. We've got over 70 breweries in Yorkshire and we've got one for every day of the month downstairs, so you can get a lot of variety. So we've got all this under a roof. And what we want for our customers, we think shopping should be an adventure and not a chore. We want you to discover something, sample something, have a chat with the baker when he's making that bread in front of you and find out how he's done it. And I think what you find is supermarkets homogenised all that. They just wanted the butcher, the baker, the florist, we've got florists as well, to kind of be something that you could put in plastic and stick a barcode on it and they're all the same. But actually, operationally, a bit of a, you know, tricky to manage, but actually we say, yeah, they're completely different. We call them different things. They have different uniforms and we celebrate those differences and recognise that. And it's, you know, I had a great story. My daughter, my youngest daughter started big school in year seven and I met the new mums like you do and she goes, oh, I love your Skipton shop. And I was like, oh, that's great, because it's nice getting feedback, yeah. tell the team. And she said, I learned how to spatchcock a chicken. <laughs> and I thought, oh, we haven't got around to doing those butchery courses yet. How did that happen? And actually what had happened is the butchers were behind the counter spatchcocking the chickens, and she'd gone, oh, that looks interesting. Well, I'll show you. And he showed her how to do it. So naturally by having those kind of expert, skilled people in the shop, part of experience, it's a great knowledge transfer as well to the kind of customers which they love. A lot of people are saying that retail's dead or is, is it really struggling at the moment. Um, the only way retail's going to survive, because we could just order your stuff online presumably, is it's got to be experience. You, you've got to go and enjoy it and smell it and see it and, and that's the only way retail's going to survive because you can't do that online. I agree. I think that, obviously, uh, you know, you mentioned the word retail to bankers and things at the moment, and they want to stick a kind of cross through you. But I actually think that retail's been redefined. So if you take Keelum, you know, you never know quite what box to tick on one of those government surveys, because we're retail, we're hospitality, we're manufacturing, and we're education, all under one roof. And that together gives this amazing experience for the customer, definitely. And I think as retailers, you need to be where your customer wants to be. I know that people change, don't you? Depending on time, we're all time pressured. So, yeah, be have click and collect. I'm at work at my desk. I quickly need to order a pie and something for dinner I want to pick up. But other times I want to bring the kids. We want to learn. I want to chat to the butcher and I want to know how to make the best pork crackling and get some advice on that. Oh, from end to end, I wish you were around the corner from my house, Victoria. I so do, I so do. But it's not easy, though, scaling up. I mean, how many staff and what's your turnover now? Um, just under 21 million. Um, so, as I call them, farm shops on steroids. Um, and 320 team members. So how do you go from a £2 million turnover, sort of ticking over, just what you would expect, scaling that up? As you said, banks are a little bit sceptical of retail. It's a massive investment. It's not a nice, steady sort of, you know, graph that gradually goes up a hill. It's step change and investment, isn't it? And that takes a huge amount of courage, I would say. Yeah, courage. Or stupidity. (laughs) Or stupidity, one might say. Yeah, I kind of say, I mean, the, the building we're in now was a really disgusting eyesore. It was an old garage, even though it was like nearly 100 years old. And if somebody had said, you know, you're going to like put six million into that to convert a farm shop just outside Skipton where you're not really well known and all that stuff, you'd be like, Ugh. but actually it's really, really worked. I think the scaling up thing, you've got to be so... So I say don't be afraid to think big. Being an accountant, I'm quite good at... But you kind of take risks, but you kind of manage those. I think as well, you kind of need to be clear about what you're doing and your values and your purpose. And then also, for me personally, 
I've got this lovely thing where work isn't work, if that makes sense. So it's mm. kind of like I enjoy it. I hope the team enjoy it. So actually what we do, we're making such a difference that I think that helps really drive you and, and move along as well. I mean, skating over that, though, I mean, obviously the culture is great. You've got inspired workforce. But, you know, suddenly find, trying to find £6 million, if that all went spectacularly wrong... You are, you know, you've not got a home. Your kids are going to be struggling a little bit. I mean, that's a huge risk, surely. I suppose it is. But when you believe in so much what you do, it didn't feel that much of a risk. Um, We had Thornton, which was incredibly, um, really busy farm shop that has no restaurant, no cafe, nothing. And was doing like just under 11 million of sales before we opened Skipton. That's just crazy. You know, the next busiest farm shop in the UK, probably about five million, maybe six, but that'd be with a cafe and the whole, you know, leisure destination thing. It was a proper community shop. And everybody who came to Thornton from outside, and it used to attract people, I wish I had one of these near me. And I think from that, and then having this vision that we knew we could do something that even better than Thornton and deliver this great experience, it's... You know, I've got this document that I wrote. This is kind of crazy now. Before we opened, the end of June, it was back in probably April time. I got it down. It was in my head, but I got it down on paper what it would like to be a customer shopping in the shop every step of the journey and what they would experience. And this is before you opened it. So, so you sort of closed your eyes and just thought, if I walk around my shop, this is what it's going to be like and it's going to smell like and it's going to feel like. Yeah, completely. And I think everything we do at Keelum... We do it from that customer perspective. What is it going to be like from the customer perspective? And nothing makes me more sad. Or I don't get angry very often, but the time when I will is when somebody in the team just hasn't thought about the customer. So we had this whole GDPR thing. It's a really good example. We've kind of had, I think we've blown that a bit out of proportion because it's not that difficult really. But somebody done a privacy policy, a marketing one and an online one. I'm like... It's one customer. They don't, don't, shouldn't care about our internal structures and stuff. This is one customer. So actually, it's just so important that you do it for them and you put it right, and then the team who have to deliver that. And don't lose sight of that. And I think another thing that I find is that a lot of people who uh, have been in a business for a while, they walk through the front door and they become completely oblivious to what something actually looks like because it's so familiar, you don't look at it. And what you must do every few months is walk back through your front door and look at it with really open eyes as how your customers see it or somebody who's been here for the first time. Because it is easy to just look at stuff as if it's almost just wallpaper. Yeah, and it's getting the team to do that every day. I think that's the secret, not relying on me to do it once a quarter, but the team see it and do it. And I'm so, you know, and there's nothing makes me prouder that the team are coming up with the great ideas and they've done a display or done something and it's just so like Keelum. We call it the Keelum. God, that's Keelum. That's not Keelum. Sounds like some (laughs) weird cult that we're here now. It does. And then we talk about Keelumizing things. But yeah, and you're like, oh my God, that's so good. It's really hard to to just kind of get it. And they've done something miles better than you'd have ever thought of or I would have done. And that's when you think, oh, this is really good and working. That's hugely rewarding. So um, do you mind, I've got Lucy, our producer here. Do you mind if we go around and talk to a few members of your team? No, it sounds brilliant. I'd love you to meet them. And they love talking about food. So we're in for a treat. Okay, we can go down on the shop floor. So as Victoria said, uh, we've come down onto the shop floor of the lovely um, Keelan Farm Shop. And I'm standing in the butchery department, which is huge. It's absolutely huge. Um, and I'm, I'm in front of the raw meat at the moment. And I'm with Tony. Tony, how long have you been at Keelan? 13 and a half years. 
and you started as a butcher? Yes, I had my own shop. So, the great thing about Keelum, though, is that you've got complete access to the meat. You actually buy the meat yourself, uh, and you, then you butcher it down here. Yeah, we, um, James buys it live. Um, we have a boning plant down at the auction market behind the shop. They bone the beef out, comes up to us, and we butcher the, the lambs and the pigs in store. So you really, really genuinely know exactly where everything comes from? Absolutely, yeah. 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 Probably even down to the name of the animal. Just about. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got all sorts of cuts here. Now, what, what most um, um, people who are cooking at home will look at is they're, they're very familiar with, let's say we've got ribeye steak here, fillet steak, sirloin steak, you've got shoulder lamb, lovely Yorkshire Barnsley chops that I can see. Um, and people are very familiar with that, I think, and, and probably generally know how to cook it or, or know where to get a recipe from. Yeah, they do. And also, they ask as well, um, cooking times, depending on how they want it, rare, medium, well yeah. done. So they can talk to your guys there. So then, we've got all sorts of other things. What, what do you think about the British public in terms of, in, in terms of meat? They're, personally, I don't think they're that adventurous. They, they sort of stick to what they know. Yeah, they're tending to do. I think just lately, I think people are trying new things, and you've got to offer them something different for them to, to try anyway, so... Yeah. So for me, when I'm cooking, for example, a um, um, steak pie, you know, or something, steak and kidney pie, um, the, quite often you'll go to a butcher's and they'll be braising steak, which you have here. But, but you've also got shin here, shin of beef. Now, shin is absolutely, and skirt actually, absolutely delicious in, in, in a, a sort of pie or a casserole. But quite a lot of people wouldn't buy that because they don't know what it is. No, I think it... it the, the, they see the sinews and they think there's something wrong with it or it's going to be fatty where it, when you cook it it melts away um, yeah so the more tend to go for that the stewing meat it looks leaner i think people nowadays want leaner meat you know the trouble with that though is is that stewing steak as you said looks lovely i mean it hardly looks like there's any fat in it at all but actually the flavor comes from the fat and if you look at the shin of beef as you say it's got some marbling but that's not fat it just disappears and leaches into the meat when it cooks which makes it even lovelier yeah to correct it does it's uh, it's really awkward sometimes to uh, convince people yeah. And and um, and then we, if we move along here, so we've got some um, really nice pork, beautiful um, colour here. And, and, and so when when you have um, um, British, you've got British bacon chops there. You've got the whole what do you call that? The whole a loin, the whole loin, and you will actually cut that and make your own um, chops or your own bacon from that. Yep, um, we leave them like that, and the customers will come in, and then they can have it as thick as they want. So. That's jolly good. And then, of course, sausages. Now, us British people, we do like sausages, don't we? We certainly do. <laughs> How many of these do you get through in a week? Oh, oh, two, three hundred kilo. Two or three hundred kilos of, of sausages in a week. So, um, what's um, what's the favourite in Yorkshire? So, I'm looking here. We've got rhubarb and mango pork sausage. Yep, uh, it's something we we keep coming up with different ideas to try and trying ideas and that one um, has gone really well it's uh, i think people read it label them like, oh but once they've tried them they actually yeah, yeah. The, you know the especially barbecue season um, and we've got um, normal pork sausages um, old english th- um, thick pork sausage now there's there's there seems to me a bit of a trend where sausages are like 100% meat or you know 95% meat now personally i actually don't like those sausages i, I just find them a bit too dense and again, I do think you need a, a bit of other other stuff in it. Your sausages here tend to be like 75% minimum meat content. 
do you do you agree with that, Tony? And that you 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 often again you need a little bit of fat and, and maybe some chives or stuff to go with it. Yeah, you've got to have a little bit of fat in to get the flavour. Definitely. Um, we do put it says a minimum seventy five. There will be more than that in it, but there will be a little bit of fat which you need for the flavour to, yeah. to come through. So um, Lucy, um, a producer, and me are going to go up to the auction in a minute. And as I'm looking at the back of the um, uh, of the you know the sort of butchery department you have here, it says our prime Yorkshire beef is hand selected by James Robert Shaw. This week we have, and then you've got the name of the breed, and then the auction, and then the tag number. What, what does all that mean? Well, basically, um, the the breed is obviously a limousine cross, a limousine, the auction where it's come from, and the tag number is to identify the animal. So that we're just letting people know that we are buying Yorkshire beef, and it's they can see that. And the tag number is that thing that's through their ear. It is, yes, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so when I go up to the uh, when I go up to the auction in a minute, um, I'll actually be able to see some of these uh, animals. And th- these animals that we see are, are then going to arrive down to here, and you're going to bone them and cut them and do whatever. Well, they'll be. Um, Go down to the boning plant where you're going. We, yep. we have a boning plant down there, so that's where it's boned out. Then it's backpacked up and it comes up to us backpacked. Yeah. And here we go. Great. Well, I can see all your guys working at the back, so um, we've got somebody. Uh, what's he doing at the back there? Um, he's preparing some stewing meat we, uh, for our pies, what we sell in the shop. Oh, okay. um, so even all the meat here um, goes into your own pies that you make, and uh, somebody's making some burgers over there. Yep. Packing them out for the uh, barbecues for tonight. And again, that's uh, that's your own meat. You make all those burgers yourself. Nothing in there that you wouldn't want. No, it's all our own, own meat. We don't buy anything else. We use our own beef. Tony, I so wish I lived around the corner from here. It's just fabulous. And I think the great thing for me too is that all of your butchers will be able to, you know, if you if you want to know, just ask, and they'll all help you um, about how you should cook it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, I've got a wealth of knowledge. One or two lads. Um, had their own businesses before they came here so between us all we've got about 300 years experience 300 years cooking experience do you do the cooking at home a little bit a little bit (laughs) try not to (laughs) Uh, only when it's meat only when it's meat well this is fabulous so we're going to go and wander up to the auction now and i'm following james down now um through the um auction house and all sorts of pens and gates and he's definitely checking out different cows talking to the uh, the farmers and obviously deciding what he's going to buy so so james james when we're looking at cows here these two these two beautiful cows here how do you how do you tell you know looking on the outside because it's not it's not about being pretty it's not having a nice face is it what, what are you actually looking for yeah looking for a nice bum as well uh well, the shape of it because obviously that's the meat you're looking for the, the bone structure it's fine boned um if it's empty so obviously how much belly it's got because when it sort of it's kills out better. Um, the breed, sort of, sort of looking for cover on it, so it's got some nice fat, it's got fat on it. Looking at the farmer, seeing if you, what, you know, what, how they look after them, with the local, where they're from, how old the beasts are. So those sorts of stories at the background are important to you. It's not just about the cows, it's no, about the it's provenance. Thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a provenance totally. It's like knowing, trusting the farmer. And, they, and you don't have to, once you know them, you know them, you'd have the same people week in, week out. But um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just a bit of a, I've been for 25 years and my granddad did it, and you just get to this experience, yeah. experience. Yeah. And, and these cows we're just talking about here, the, yeah. these, you know, I mean, they're lovely, but yeah. they're a little bit elderly. Yeah, they've come, they're basically cows that have, uh, that have been used for breeding off, or ex milking cows have got over age. 
So they've been, they might be five, six years, seven years old, and they'll just go back to the food chain. Um, it's like say for ready meals, there's, there's a place for them. So yeah, there's a place for them. Yeah, I feel I feel a little bit sorry for them. To yeah, be honest. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, looking at well, I'm looking at them now, but I suppose they've managed to make it to six or seven years. Well, these yeah. beautiful ones these here. These will be yeah, well, they'll be maybe yeah five, six, seven years, maybe eight year old. These, these will be two year old. So maybe fourteen month, fifteen month. So maybe I shouldn't feel so sorry no, for these old no, cows no, over no, here. No, 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 I know what you mean, though. No. Yeah, you put them out to pasture, but yeah, yeah. And then there's a big bull there, you see, so it'll be a bull that's been used. So you can't feel sorry for him. No, he's had a blooming good life, hasn't he? Seven years of being, yeah, you know, shoved be into fields, yeah. looking yeah. after women. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, but it's. Um, I think it's good that they're using everything back in the food chain. It's getting used in the right way, and because um, you know, I think it's, it's that's how it should be. And, and so you'll have a little look here, and, yeah. and so this is before it goes into auction. They've all got sort of numbers on, and you, yeah. you presumably got an eye on what you're interested in buying, yeah, and probably I mean, got a figure yeah. in your head that you're happy to. <laughs> no, but you're happy. But you must yeah, have a ceiling of what you're prepared to pack. I have a figure by by the kilo, so the weight will come up, so you know it weighs, and then you'll start bidding for the kilo. Um, and I have a price in my head, straight. You know what I'm thinking, and then it's just it's. It, it's like in London on stock exchange of like farming, you bid against other buyers. And it's almost like who dare, who go, you push them on, they push you. It's easy to get drawn in and pay too much. You know. Like any auction, yeah, right? Yeah, and that's the thing you got some cow like some people just love a certain cow and they'll just buy them and they don't care. Not many butchers do that, but farmers do that. <laughs> get attached to um, them. Yeah. So we're gonna go over to the ring in a minute, presumably. Yeah, yeah we're gonna wander up to the ring, we'll get inside the ring and you can sort of view on there, yeah, and we'll they'll sell them, yeah. Yeah, is that okay? Brilliant. Wander over there. Right, here we go. So I'm looking at this huge cow that's just come into the middle of the ring. It's looking a little bit startled. It's wandering around. And uh, this is 590 kilos. Farm assured, and he's 22 months old. Is that one sold, James? Yeah, I bought them. Oh, just, oh you just bought that one? Oh, the bonds, 22 months, yeah. Keelan oh, yeah, Keelan Farm, yeah. got it. Okay, so he bought that one for £1,389. Wow. So, James, we've just um, finished our um, come out of the ring now. It's a yep. bit quieter here, let's yep. face it. Um, and we're queuing for a nice cup of tea. Um, so, you, you, so when you're buying a cow, does it matter whether it's male or female? I'm sorry I'm asking really stupid uh, city questions here. It's like the female's got a heifer and the yep. male's a steer. So, but I generally buy heifers, um, but I do buy an odd steer. But generally, um, 90% heifers. But, but there's no difference in the meat, is there? No, I think my granddad do slight efforts, and they say that they're still a bit softer. People say they're a bit nicer. I don't know if you can tell. You know, it's women generally. Let's face it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it must be wrong. Then. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. no, I'm joking. And, and most yeah. of those cows uh, that you were buying, uh, heifers you were buying today, yeah. um, you're going to be paying about thirteen hundred to about fifteen hundred quid yeah. for each one of those. Yeah, yeah. The base, like you see, buying on weight, but the now on average about thirteen hundred pound, which is quite a high. It's what highest it's been. Um, it's gradually gone up in prices of beef. 
We're all, 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 all meat has, lamb, lambs especially. Um, so, yeah, that's what they're coming to. So, in, in essence, you're, you're going to buy a whole animal for that. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, when you go to the butchers, you're wondering why these things cost so much, you know. So, yeah. if that's that's what it's cost. We'll you haven't, you haven't, you yeah. know, boned it, you haven't done anything, yeah. you, haven't, you haven't cut it, you haven't done yeah. anything. And, well, um, every live animal I buy that goes to Abertry, we, we do a killing percentage. I percent everyone back. And you, I'm looking for 64% return off the full animal now so that straight away your 1300 is going to buy another 35 percent and by that you mean um 64 percent of that will be meat that you use that, no that'd be just that'd be actual meat and bone that'll come yeah, back yeah, yeah. like the we've got the quarters that the, 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 the sign so. and then from there you'll have all the prime cuts but actually you'll use as much as you can to make um some of the beef burgers yeah, in the yeah. shop and uh, all the other things yeah so then we burn, we burn the meat out get the cuts off it uh, and then we're looking for 70 percent so we're going to lose another 30 <laughs> percent so by the time you've actually gone from this 1300 you've, you've, you've lost 50 percent of your weight mills in the bones and and what really struck me today having uh, looked at this and not yeah. really realizing it is that you're looking at every single animal <laughs> that you sell in your shop but so are the other butchers you know yeah, they're yeah, all doing yeah, the same yeah, 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 yeah. sainsbury's or any of the i'm not picking sainsbury's out you know on purpose or anything but no, any of the no, supermarkets yeah. won't have a clue to be honest no. where their meat comes from no they won't they just get those comes in dead weight it just goes into a box we call it box meat so and a lot even so a lot of butchers do what I do, a lot don't, they buy, buy cuts, and you don't know where the animal's from, if it's a bull, age. And what's striking me is you're even talking to the farmer, oh, yeah. and uh, you know, you want to know about that, you want to know about what they're fed, yeah. you know, a, a couple of comments that you made to me, that one's a bit not got enough <laughs> meat on it, you know, that yeah, one's a bit yeah, skinny, yeah. Yeah. But, but, but you are assessing the animals, so you're yeah. looking at their eyes, I presume, and their general health, and, and deciding. You're just evaluating it on the, on the hoof straight away. Um, yes, yeah, I think the key, that the auction is the farmers and, and the community to it and I really believe that these places need to keep going because um, like supermarkets have their way they go straight to the farms cut out the middleman but look at this look at the cafe you've got people working here it's, it's yeah. I mean, a, a, absolutely, but but I think James, what's really come across to me today is that if if you're a supermarket, I don't know how you're making those decisions, and therefore people say, oh well, it's expensive, you know, if I go to my local butchers, whatever. But what you're getting could be phenomenally better. I mean, it, you know, out of all proportion. Yeah, definitely. I know every beast, and also we, 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 when we've killed, it, we hang it for, for another twenty-one days, then we burn it for another, another week. It's all the way it's looked at. So you look after the meat as well, you know, how it's after. So, yeah, it's, it's like chalk and cheese out of, meat, out of meat to supermarkets. Absolutely. Oh, brilliant. Will you buy me a cup of tea now? Of course I will. Come on. <laughs> so I've wandered um, back from the auction house, uh, which is about five-minute walk from Keenan Farm Shop. I'm back at Keenan Farm Shop, and um, I just feel... I don't know what I actually feel. I feel... In a way, I feel a bit cross, and in a way, I feel very proud. I feel cross that actually our meat doesn't get bought like this everywhere uh, as it should. And I'm very inspired, I'm very proud that the people who come to Keelham are actually buying meat that James has personally inspected and chatted to the farmer and absolutely knows where that meat comes from. I wonder, though, if the people who come shopping here realise that. I wonder if they've made the connection. Um, and uh, f- for my mind... Um, local meat's got to be the best meat and if you can afford it and maybe don't have it so often but if you can afford it it's going to be so much better and it's got to be much better for the community all round 
So we wander back into Keelham and we're going to go and talk to Tony who works in the butcheries department and he receives all the meat that uh, James has inspected and bought um, and then it arrives all from the cutting plant and then they start butchering it in the shop itself. Just finished walking around the meat counter and talking to Tony and this is my final stop off before I get on the train from Skipton back down to Kent um, where I live by the sea Um, and I'm joined by Robin and Robin is say I could speak to hundreds of people here but Robin is my last person to speak to Um, and you're in charge of the bakery department have I got that right? Yeah that's correct Um, I run the bakery operation here at Keelan. And the bakery operation um, is uh, everything, I I think is right, from the amazing breads that you've got here, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, Pizzas are made here, pies are made here? Yeah, we make the pie fillings here. The pies are made at a a separate location. Uh, The pizzas are made on site as well. But yeah, um, mainly my main part of the job really is the artisan bread and, and the homemade sweet treats that we make here making my stomach rumble um and i know that your dad was a baker wasn't he and inspired you to become one too yes he was he was a he was a baker he's been a baker all his life um he did inspire me although he didn't want me to be a baker um but i went against his wishes because it was something that i really loved and really enjoyed to do it does mean getting up at two o'clock in the morning though it certainly does and that's why you have to love it um if you didn't love being a baker then you know you wouldn't get up at at 2 a.m in the morning to come in and make bread for everyone i bet none of your customers know that you get up at two o'clock in the morning oh they definitely do we tell them all the time yes definitely yeah that's fair enough that's fair enough um so explain to me um, a little bit about your career so so you started off making um making bread You've, you've been doing that in a couple of different places before you arrived at keelan yeah, sure. Um, I left school and I got a job straight away at a small family bakery in Harrogate. Um, I spent four and a half years there um, learning my trade because it was a small family bakery. I think I was the first baker outside the family. Um, so you did everything from driving the van, serving the customers, making the bread, doing the cream cakes, delivering um, absolutely everything down to tiling and painting and, and the lot sort of thing. Um I moved from there really um, to Betty's, um, so I went and worked for Betty's. I worked there for eleven years. And for anybody who doesn't know that, Betty's is a, is a Harrogate institution, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a real top class um, craft bakery. Um, so I worked my way up in in there, and I spent four years at college also, um, and came out with um, a BTEC in in bakery and science. Um, I then helped um, write and develop some cookery school courses for Betty's. Um, so I taught them at, at quite a high level. Um, and then I moved on from Betty's after 11 years, um, tried to try my hand at something new, went into retail. Um, so I went and worked for Sainsbury's and spent 10 years at Sainsbury's working um, and developing their bakeries. But you found yourself at Keelham. So, so does it for you feel like you're going back in a way to, to, to actually be able to touch and feel the bread and be an artisan baker again? Absolutely. Um, I don't think going back is a bad thing. Um, I, think I didn't mean it was a bad thing, I'm sorry. But what I meant was you're going back to your roots in a way. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, it's something that, do you know what, I was trained to do. Um, it's in my blood to do. Um, it's something I really, really love doing. So, you know, um, I think sometimes the further up the ladder you climb, um, the further detracted you are from an actual craft um, so it's something I really love do, doing and, and 
teaching other people and passing the craft on is really important to me. Uh, spreading the word and making good traditional um, artisan breads, you know, it's a fantastic honour for me. So to teach other people to do that as well, I think, you know, that's the best thing in the world. And standing in front of the of, of the bread sort of section in Keelan Farm Shop, you've you've got a real different array you, you know, from stuff that you'd almost recognise in terms of, well, that looks like mass-produced bread, although it isn't, you know, because it almost looks so perfect. To, to to real sort of artisan, sort of very different sort of stuff. What's your favourite, you know, that you, that you uh, sell here? Um, I think one of my favourites is the ciabatta loaf, even though it's you know um, a real sort of plain bread, if you like. It's made in a traditional method, um, and it, it just—it's it, a bread that can go with anything, you know. So, real nice uh, bit of olive oil and balsamic vinegar, just a little dip in there, and it's absolutely fantastic. Sorry, but for me, it's got to be a little bit hot, and then have loads and loads of butter on it. I'm sorry, olive oil, no, not with out of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the sort of bread you're eating, really. Yeah. To be fair, um, I think one of my all-time favourites is uh, the cranberry and orange loaf that we do at Christmas. Um, it was my first Christmas here and we, we sort of trialled it with the customers and, and they absolutely loved it. Um, they didn't love it so much when we took it off in January, but, you know, it'll come back again. So, And, and uh, the pizza-making operation is quite a thing now, isn't it? Because it's rather taken off. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, pizzas traditionally, um, they're Italian peasant breads, um, so it's amazing to me that uh, that we can charge in this country so much money for a pizza but do you know what um we make some really nice smashing quality quality pizzas downstairs um and the customers love them so and it's all about the bread base for me i mean every every, anybody can do a pizza but actually getting that bread base right is actually quite difficult and i know everybody's got got their favorite you know sort of toppings but that's the key yeah absolutely you know um for me i'm not a fan of the of the deep pan pizza I, i i really like a nice thin crust something that's really just going to hold the topping well um, and traditionally that's you know that's what it was for it was leftovers so the only reason that the bread was there really was to hold all of the, the separate toppings and everything and things that they had left over from their pasta meal in indeed well we've had a great time here at Keenan farm shop don't particularly want to go home uh, lucy our producer's gone around shopping she's got masses of bags full of food um uh, packed uh, away and then she's going to take those on the train I think what's come across um, to me, Robin, is every single person I've talked to who works here genuinely loves it. And, and it's very important to them that the customer gets the right you know, ingredients, the right provenance, that you take care over what you do. And um, it's not a marketing message. It's not, it's not something that's done you know, to, to, for the newspapers or something or in the media. It's really heartfelt and genuine. Yeah, absolutely. Keelum's a fantastic place to work. Um, it really is focused towards the customer and just getting the word out there really that uh, that we we are making good traditional honest food I think it's a rarity in this day and age um, and I think it's something we really do need to go back to we really like to look after the customer we like to keep the price point where anyone can access it and you know it doesn't cost the earth to get a good honest loaf of bread or a good honest apple or orange or vegetables um, so I think that in, in that sense, it's really unique and key. Uh, the customer experience in here is really, really important to us. Uh, we want to look after our customers and keep them coming back. And Victoria and James, uh, they're two incredible people. Yeah, absolutely inspiring. You know, um, from their roots, they grew up farm-based. 
um, opened a shop and opened another shop and, and the story continues. Um, I don't think it's the end of the story. I, I think that they've got something that's really unique and marketable. And I think that we're, we're on the growth and we look after our customers. Uh, they keep coming back and we just keep on continuing to grow. And I think you heard it there from Robin. That's not the end of the story. So thank you to everybody at Keelham for making us um, feel so welcome. And if you're anywhere near Leeds, Skipton, anywhere in North Yorkshire, Keelham Farm Shop, you really do have to visit. Thank you, Robin. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you.